Thank you for listening to the Shanghai Community Fellowship Podcast. To find out more about the SCF community, listen to sermons, and upcoming events, visit us at shanghaifellowship.org. Good morning. Welcome to SCF. Um, today is um, the third and final session in the series that we've been doing on marriage. Um, if you haven't gotten um, or been able to watch the last two weeks, um, I would encourage you to go back and do that because Pastor Dale has really done a great job of preaching on submitting to one another and on how to become one. And these really set um, the context and the tone for what we're going to be talking about today. Um, if you don't know who I am, my name is Ruth DePater, and um, actually I've been in Shanghai for more than 20 years, and uh, I'm married to Hiri, um, and actually we just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. Um, I'm not sure if that makes us experts. Um, we certainly do not have a perfect marriage, um, but we do try to have a God-honoring marriage, and um, we try our best to grow um, towards each other and towards the Lord. Um, when, actually, because we just celebrated our 25th anniversary, we've, we were doing some reminiscing. Um, I'm from the US, and so we got married in the US, and then we had a wedding reception in the Netherlands, where my husband is from. Uh, and then we had a third wedding reception in Asia. Um, and so we, we carried this guest book around with us from place to place. And, and the guests could sign their names and sign a little greeting to us. Um, and one of the most memorable things that somebody wrote, and it was a German friend who was um, living in Asia at the time. He said, um, now that you have each other, you can face problems together. Problems that you wouldn't have had if you weren't married. I thought, oh yeah, this is so true. Um, there's great joy in marriage because you're in it together, um, but yet there are whole new things that you're dealing with and that you're facing. Um, <laughs> and that is life because we never, we are never away from our problems and we're never away from the work that God is doing in our lives. Um, and today we're going to go and look at Ephesians um, 5, 33. Uh, Pastor Dale's been talking through the verses preceding this, I believe starting in verse 21, going through 30, verse 33. But this is kind of the culmination. This is the summary. So um, when if there's one verse that you want to take out of the New Testament to kind of give you some guidance on marriage, it is what we're going to talk about today. Um, it's a summary of what Paul has written to the believers in Ephesus about marriage. Um, it's how the gospel impacts marriage. Um, but if you wanted just one verse to be your, your secret weapon or the thing that you're going to memorize or the thing that you're going to embroider on a pillow or put on a sticky note to remind you how to live, it's this one. Um, and so we're going to get into that, uh, but I hope for all of you who are married, um, and you're listening to this, I hope that you will be encouraged today to find new things that you can, in new ways to communicate with your spouse, um, ways that you can communicate love and respect. Um, and 
to invite God to transform you as an individual um, because it takes a lot of strength and it takes a lot of humility um, and a lot of grace and mercy and surrender. Um, and this is a lifelong process. Now, I, I think most of our congregation is not yet married and actually hoping to be one day. And so as you're listening to this, I hope that there's some takeaways for you that you can learn before you even get started, um, how you can go forward in healthy and God-honoring ways, but also how you can prepare yourself to be the kind of man who will someday become a godly husband or how you can prepare yourself now as a woman so that one day you can become a godly wife. And I hope that this will help you to choose wisely who you want to spend the rest of your life together with, um, because it really does matter. Um, forever and ever is a long time together. Um, so choose wisely. Okay, so we're gonna, we're gonna dig in and we're gonna read Ephesians 5, verse 33. And it says, um, however, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. It's very simple. So if there's just one verse, one secret sauce, this is it. Um, and there's a lot of wisdom here. So what lies at the core of it? Uh, and it's this, it's a surrendered life. Um, now, some weeks ago, not even in the marriage series, but in the series before that, um, Pastor Dale was preaching about a tree and he said something along the lines of, the, at the roots, there is grace and mercy and what it grows up into is a surrendered life. And this theme just continues throughout the New Testament and here we're seeing it at work in our relationships and in our marriage relationships. Now, one of the things about marriage is that God has chosen the marriage relationship between husband and wife to be the metaphor for what it looks like Christ's relationship with the church. So it's really important and also significant for us as believers. So then how do we live? And we also wonder then why we face so many struggles and why the enemy wants to attack us in this area of marriage. Um, but at the, at the end of the day, it really does come down to um, surrendering your life. Um, so maybe what Pastor Dale said, at the roots are grace and mercy, and that grows into a tree of, surrender, of a surrendered life. Maybe that also flips around to being at the roots, there's a surrendered life and that grows up into a tree of grace and mercy. That it's this thing that just keeps on giving when we pour out our lives for each other. Um, when I read this passage though, um, it's so simple that each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. I have a lot of questions that immediately jump into my mind and, and that's what we're gonna deal with today. And the first one is, um, what's so important about this? Um, why does this even matter? And the second was, what does this mean? And the third one is, what does this look like in our lives today? So let's get started with, what's the point? Why does this matter? And 
Isn't it enough that we just settle for what our own culture defines as a good marriage? Why is that not enough? And I'm going to say, no, it's not enough. Um, that this is the wrong metric. It's the, using the wrong set of values. And it makes two faulty assumptions. And the first one is that our own cultural values, or it's assuming that our own cultural values are in line with kingdom values. And the second one, second faulty assumption is that our main goal is to have a good marriage. Did I get your attention with that one? Because of course we want good marriages, but just hold your thought, hold that thought, and we're gonna come back to it. Now, first of all, while each of our cultures, no matter where you're from, I'm from the United States, I know many of you are from China, or from um, Hong Kong, or Singapore, or um, Zimbabwe, or Congo, or the Netherlands, or Japan, and there's so many different cultural values um, from wherever it is that we come from. Uh, and the truth is that there are good things in each of our cultures. There are things that are God-honoring in each of our cultures. And there are things that are not God-honoring. Um, there are things that come out of the brokenness and sinfulness of the world um, that we just become uh, that become blind spots to us because we're so accustomed to it. So we can't really measure what does a godly marriage look like when we're not when we're trying to measure it up against our own culture rather than measuring it up to the gospel. Um, and there's a good example of this in Isaiah chapter six, when Isaiah the prophet is he's being called into this prophetic ministry. Now, what is a prophet? A prophet is someone who declares God's word to his people using his mouth. But all of a sudden, he's in God's presence and this blind spot emerges. Um, he suddenly sees something about his life that is not honoring to God. And he says, this is in Isaiah chapter six, um, he says, I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. So suddenly he's saying, whoa, 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 wait a second. I can't be used in this, this area because my mouth is sinful and I come from a people of sinful mouths. Whatever, whatever that meant, uh, I'm not sure exactly, but he was quite aware of it in the presence of God. And so then there's this, this story of the seraphim flies with a coal to come and touch his mouth and to purify him from that sin and that's when God really is able to use him, to use his mouth, because it's been redeemed and it's been restored and it's been purified. Um, and he's able to use that to minister um, truth to his people. Um, and the truth is that God is doing something similar in our own lives and in all of our relationships. He is in the business of transforming us he is in the business of redeeming us and bringing healing. And the gospel is not just at work in my life, but it is flowing out into my relationships as well. Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 6, verse 18. You have been set free from sin and you have become slaves to righteousness. 
So something's changing in us. Those values are changing and we're being set free from sin, but now we're being orientated towards righteousness. And that is happening in our marriage as well. Um, okay, now the second false assumption is that our main goal is to have a good marriage. Now, yes, of course, we want you to have good, a good marriage. I wanna have a good marriage. Uh, I want everybody, all y'all, to have a good marriage. Um, but that is not our first priority. Uh, what is our first priority? Um, Jesus says it like this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, but to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. So Jesus is saying our first priority is to seek after him and his kingdom and his righteousness, and that all these other things will come into place as well. Um, so of course, of course, of course, after we begin to seek after his righteousness and to seek after him, then the things in our relationships and in our marriages begin to fall into place as well as our lives are transformed, as we repent of sin and as we're breaking patterns of bondage and um, sinfulness, um, things begin to change. Um, but the, the other problem with that is that um, it's easy to hold a good marriage as an idol um, instead of seeking after God um, because God comes first and uh, our marriages come second. Um, and it's important to have that order right. The other problem is that it becomes, because we come from a consumer culture, um, we can easily become consumers of things. And what we want is a good marriage and we want to get things um, and we want to get them quickly and we want to get them without pain or without doing the hard work. Uh, we want certainty and we want guaranteed outcomes and we would be willing to follow God's ways if we can see the benefit in doing them but that's not what God is asking us. God is asking us to do things his way because it honors him. And then it benefits us. But even if we don't have that guaranteed outcome, um, that we are still trusting him, that we are still doing things the way that he wants us to do them because our lives are submitted to him. Um, we want to marry Mr. Tall, Dark, Rich, and Handsome, who will treat us like a Disney princess, showering us with rose petals and diamonds, and filling the deep, broken, unloved parts of our hearts so that we can live happily ever after. This is what movies have given us on TV, okay? This is part of our consumer culture. But what does God say about marriage? What does God say about who fills the broken places in our hearts? Who gives us the capacity for being loved and to receiving love? It comes from him. And that's the part that we need to get right. Um, because adding someone to your life, you might think that that's gonna fix all your problems, but every marriage, married person's going to tell you 
it absolutely does not solve all your problems. It does bring joy. Marriage does bring joy. It brings belonging and togetherness. Um, but there are whole loads of other things that you have to deal with. And some of, of the primary issues that you are dealing with, oh, comes, comes to turn out, they, they didn't disappear. They didn't go away just because I entered into a lifelong covenant with someone else. So there's something else that needs to happen in our lives and we need to surrender ourselves to Jesus. Um, now, before we dive more into Ephesians chapter five, verse 33, let's just take a little step back um, and look at Genesis two, well, chapters two and three. We're not gonna open this up and look at this, um, but you might wanna go back and take a look at, at what's happening. But Paul, he's definitely referring back to creation and the fall in this passage on marriage. And, and understanding the context of it, how did God create our relationships? What was the original intent and purpose and how did they look? And what happened when sin entered the world? What did that do to our relationships? So if you look back in Genesis chapter two, especially with verses 24 and 25, you see that Adam and Eve, they are, um, they're working together as one. Um, they're in the garden, they're reigning over creation. Uh, they're working together, um, they're partners. They're in close relationship with each other and with God. Um, they're naked and unashamed. Um, and the Hebrew language here really denotes um, intimacy and vulnerability, um, both physically and emotionally, that there's this togetherness and this transparency. And all of that changes in chapter three when sin enters the world. It corrupts their relationship um, with each other and with God. Um, it breaks it. And it puts distance between them. Um, it enters shame. Shame enters the picture. Suddenly they discover, oh, we're naked. Oh, we need to hide. Oh, we need to make clothes for ourselves. We need to protect ourselves. We need to hide. Um, there's also this tendency to blame each other. These kind of power struggles. Um, violence enters the world and um, and it's all these things that once there was this intimacy and transparency and vulnerability and togetherness, now it's all broken. And now there's all this stuff in between us. All right, so understanding this, how does it look now that Jesus has died for our sins and he has redeemed us for, from the curse and he's He's redeemed us from that brokenness of sin. Why are we still struggling with all of the stuff, the shame and the brokenness and the need to protect ourselves and the need to, to get the things that we want for ourselves? The self-centeredness, why does that get in the way? What is going on here? Um, and, and so as we begin to just kind of wrestle with this, Ephesians chapter five, verse 33, this um, love your wife as you love yourself, 
and wives respect your husband. Um, that this is kind of the antidote for that. It's this submitting to one another, this giving up of yourself to one another. And what it does is it, if it's scary, <laughs> it's scary because you feel like, oh, wait, 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 wait. Am I going to lose myself? Am I going to, um, am I giving up my needs? Am I giving up of myself? Um, do I need to pull back? Do I need to protect? Do I need to? No, no, no. It's a giving up of myself. And what we're doing as both of you are submitting to one another, um, you're coming together and you're reestablishing those lines of um, intimacy and vulnerability and togetherness and unity like it was uh, at creation. Because God is in the business of restoring us, of redeeming us. And this is how the gospel is working itself out in us. Now, I wish it was that easy. I wish it was like, boom, uh, you're married, and so you're just going to be back in that happy, sweet spot and that place of vulnerability and transparency and whatever. But still, there's all of these things uh, that get in the way. Um, and every time and again, our self-centeredness and our selfishness um, creeps in, uh, our pride, or maybe just our hurt feelings um, comes in and says, oh, wait a second, um, I need to do something. I need to protect you. All right, but let's go ahead and look more at, um, at the verse. And, and I wanna kind of look at now what what does this mean? Like, what did Paul, when Paul wrote this, um, this verse and this letter to the, the churches around Ephesus, like, what did that look like? And what were the words that he used, he was using? Um, you know, because all of us were created for belonging and love and significance, and all of us, uh, we, we want to be loved and respected. But generally speaking, it's more significant for a man to feel respected, and it's more significant for a woman to be loved. Now, I realize that that's generalizations, and, and that's okay. Um, but again, Paul is getting at something, something that's deep in the needs of men and women. Um, and. Pastor Dale said this a couple weeks ago, and I'm just going to reiterate it because this, this is so true. I'm in a cross-cultural marriage, and I know that many people in our fellowship are as well. Um, and there are significant differences, okay? I'm not going to lie to you there. Um, there are things that just come out of left field like, whoa, where did that come from? Um, but most of the you know differences in our culture are like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. But most of the differences come between being a man and a woman. Um, I think across the board, that's where I would say the majority of, of the differences come in. Um, and when we start to recognize how strong that, that drive is for men to be respected and how strong that drive is for women to be loved, um, 
we can start to look at core motivations. Um, now, if, if you don't find that you're falling into those categories along gender lines, that's okay. Um, I just wanna ask you, um, well, what matters to you? What makes you feel, um, or when do you feel valued and, and unvalued? Or when do you feel significant and insignificant? So just understanding yourself and how you're created and what your core desires of your heart are, they're important. And understanding that about yourself will help you to be able to communicate to your, your partner or your future partner. Um, but let's start with looking at the word that Paul uses here, love. Um, because in Greek, when you look at the original languages, things can really change in meaning. Um, so let's just take a look. Like, what did Paul mean when he used the word love? Um, does he mean um, showering you with flowers and you know rose petals and diamonds? Um, or what? What exactly does he mean there? Um, actually, it's the Greek word agapeo, which means to love unconditionally and sacrificially. Um, now, I think a lot of us have, have heard of that agape love, and that, that's a noun form. Um, and incidentally, this is the highest form of love used in scripture, and it's used throughout the New Testament to describe God's love for the world and how we are supposed to love one another. Um, and the thing we need to know about it is that um, it is unconditional and it is sacrificial in nature. Uh, but if we want to just step back over these last few verses, starting in verse 21 and look through 23, um, we can immediately interpret um, by what it means based on what Paul is directly saying. Um, in verse 21, he says um, to submit to one another. In verse 25, he says... Um, to love her just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In verse 28, we see that it's loving her as his own body. In verse 29, it's feeding and caring for her. And um, oh, another verse 28, that he who loves his wife loves himself. So. Uh, and again, in verse 33, it's as he loves himself. There's a lot. Paul isn't just double downing on it. He's like quadruple downing on it. He keeps going over and over and over that the way a husband is supposed to love his wife is sacrificially giving up his life for his wife, taking care of her needs, just like Jesus gave up his life for the church. This is what it looks like. Now, Paul spends three times more space, nine verses, talking about the husband's role. Then he does the wife's role, which is just three verses. And the reason for the emphasis is that Paul, um, that what Paul was saying was so countercultural for that time, being in a very patriarchal world, um, that this was kind of earth, earth shattering concepts that a husband would be giving up his life with this kind of love for his wife um, was kind of a new thing. Um, well, not just kind of a new thing, it was a radically a new thing. Um, 
and this kind of sacrifice. Um, and, and I have to say, I'm just going to make a little confession. I really appreciate Paul's emphasis here because normally uh, when I read this passage, um, I get some PTSD type trauma type flashes of, of people who misuse these scriptures who are trying to get women to submit, 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 obey, 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 obey. And it kind of feels suppressive and oppressive. Um, and I can start to feel my anxiety rising. Um, and I can start to feel self-protective when I'm reading this. Um, but then I get to verse 33 and I think, oh, okay. But women are supposed to respect their husbands. Oh, okay, I can do that. I respect my husband very much. And honestly, it's not hard to give up your life for someone who is giving up their life for you. It's not hard to yield to them when someone is sacrificing for you. Um, that's not hard. It's only hard when I'm steeped in my own self-interest and protection. Um, so one thing I want to clarify, so even though um, this can help you in your relationships with other uh, men, with other women, this is only talking about your relationship with your wife. So this is not talking about how you, you, you love another sister in Christ. So, you know, understanding, understanding this is, is important. Okay, so let's talk about um, respect. Uh, this is the Greek word phobio, and it means to fear. Um, this is used to describe being afraid, okay? Like the same word for phobia, like being claustrophobic, you know, like, is God calling us to be a husband of phobic? Like, surely not, because fear creates dis distance and we want to go back to intimacy, to togetherness. So what is God saying? Um, nearly every trans English translation uses the word to respect or to revere. Um, this shows such deep, it's to show such deep and profound respect and reverence. Um, it means to make him your top priority, to give weight to. Um, also, verse 21 uses a similar word, um, phobos, which means that we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So here it's talking about that reverence for Christ, kind of this fear of the Lord type of word. Um, and so that's, that's a clear understanding. Now, the things that it says here um, from the verses preceding it are to submit to one another from verse 21, um, to submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, and that wives should submit to their husbands in everything as the church submits to Christ, and a wife must respect her husband. Again, it's so much easier to do this when your husband is giving up his life for you. But regardless of the fact, this is unconditional. Um, and we are, as women and as wives, we are to respect our husbands unconditionally. All right, so what does this look like in our lives today? What is the application here? Um, this is a little tricky because it can look a little different according to who you are and your personality and who you're married to and what culture you're from and what culture you're living in and what time 
era you're living in. You know, um, my mother-in-law, she was, she was the greatest wife. Um, she lived for her husband. He was her number one priority. Um, she was also a great mother and she used to knit, uh, she used to knit sweaters for my husband until we got married. And then it was my turn to knit for him. Uh, excuse me, there's a Uniqlo down the corner. I'll happily go buy you a sweater, but knitting is not in my, my core skill set. So fortunately for us all, my husband does not care about this. And um, because now it's been 25 years and I still haven't knit him any sweaters. But that was my mother-in-law's idea of being a good, a good wife. Now it looks different for our marriage and um, thankfully, thankfully so. Um, but this is where becoming a student of yourself and becoming a student of your spouse is so important. And tools like love languages and personality types and core motivations and your greatest desires and fears, this really helps us to serve our spouses in ways that are significant to them. Um, and we can do this unconditionally and without judgment. Um, it's great if you can understand why it's important to them, but even if you don't understand and you don't value it, just knowing this is important to them and I'm gonna do this just to honor them because I know it's important to them, that's enough. That's enough. All right. Um, now, there are four guiding principles that stand out from Ephesians chapter five. Um, from these verses, and and this is how this is the basis of how we're going to draw our application, how our marriages are to look like, and how what what it is we're to do, and what we need to change or or become um, for our spouse. Um, and I'm going to just group love and respect together, although they're different, um, because just understanding what it is that your partner needs um, and doing that. Um, the first one is that love and respect are mutually sacrificial. They come out of surrendered lives to God and to each other. Okay, that's going to be self-sacrificing. And I'm just going to tell you that is not easy. It's hard. Uh, it takes a lot of humility and a lot of strength to do this. Number two, love and respect seek to show value and priority Okay, and it might be recognizing their beauty or their character or their personality or their competence or their intellect or their maybe the recognition of what they do or what they've achieved, maybe their status or position or what else? Find out, ask questions, observe, find out what is meaningful to your spouse and do it. Okay, number three, love and respect are unconditional, all right? They are not gained or lost based on our competence or our appearance. They are freely given. And it's based on a total acceptance of one another that we do not need to change our spouse. We do not need to make them like us in order for us to become one. 
this is one of those secrets that, you know, opposites attract. And then those things are the thing, the things that drew you together are the things that drive you crazy for the rest of your lives because you want to change them into yourself. And you need to let go and let them be them and you be you. And to totally walk in love and acceptance and respect towards one another in those things. Um, I just want to say years ago, I read this book. It's not this book exactly, but Love and Respect by um, Emerson Egerich. And it was a light bulb moment for me because um, he points out that respect here towards your husband is unconditional. And I, I kind of had always um, looked at respect as being earned. And that might be true with all the other men in your life, but with your husband, respect is unconditional. And it's not how you feel, it's what you do and how you show. So actually this is the fourth, the fourth one, is that both to love and to respect the, in this passage are verbs, they're not feelings. So they're not emotions, they are active and they are intentional. Okay, so as we, as we go forward, um, there is one litmus test I'd like you to consider um, as you build your marriages and build patterns of loving and respecting each other. Um, since God has chosen the marriage relationship as a metaphor of Jesus' relationship to the church, um, if it's not how Jesus would treat the church, it's probably not appropriate for husbands to do, okay? And if it's not appropriate behavior for how the church responds to Jesus, then it's probably not appropriate for wives to treat their husbands this way. This is the comparison. This is the metaphor that, um, that Paul is using that here on earth, our marriage looks like Jesus' relationship to the church. Okay, so to be clear, there is no place for defensiveness and blame. There is no place for control, manipulation, domination, or power struggles. There is no place for verbally attacking your partner's personality or their character. And there's no place for contempt. This is like eye rolling or disrespect or name calling. Um, and just to be really, really clear, there is absolutely no room for abuse, for violence, for threats of violence, for threats of abandonment or infidelity. There's no room for this. This is not how Christ would treat the church. And this is not how the church would treat Christ. Um, and I just want to say that if you are in a marriage where there are very serious issues of abuse or violence or infidelity or addiction in your marriage, I would really encourage you to find a counselor or your pastor or some trusted mentor or Christian friend who can really walk with you to, to find ways of, um, of dealing with this in God-honoring ways. Um, do you remember when we started in the Garden of Eden? Um, 
and there was all this togetherness and vulnerability and transparency transparency but then it got broken and there was distance and protection and shame all of these things that came between them the antidote for that um, is to unconditionally love and lay down your life for your wife and to unconditionally respect your husband. This is how we get back to that place of togetherness, of vulnerability, of unity, peace in our marriages. And so as we close today, um, those of you who are married, I, I really wanna say, I feel like God wants to bring healing into your lives as individuals, but it also into all of these areas where there has been hurt and offense and disrespect um, and unhealthy patterns, that today is a new day to begin again um, and that God can do a new thing in your life and in your relationship. Um, yeah. And singles, I want to talk to you today. If you are hoping and planning to get married, um, I want to talk to you about pay attention um, to who you date, to who you marry. Um, I know that many of you are facing a lot of pressure from parents or, or from family members to get married. Um, maybe you're dealing with other pressures or other concerns, but it really does make a difference who you marry. Make sure that they are people of strong faith and of strong character and of um, maturity because these are the people that you will be willing to lay down your life over and over and over and over again for the rest of your lives. Um, it's easy to do when they're laying their lives down for you. But if, if not, you are still called to lay down your life for them. Even if they're not, you are still called to lay down your life for them. So choose wisely who you will marry. Um, yeah, so we're going to pray as, a, as we close this time. So let's just go ahead and do that. Um, Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for your creation of marriage. Um, it's not easy. Uh, actually, some days it's very hard, but some days there's a lot of joy. And I pray um, that you would do a new thing in each of our lives, in our marriages, that you would bring healing and restoration, that you would bring peace, that you would bring about um, new, new wine, a new sense of abundance and joy, um, and that you would help us to establish new patterns that are healthy, that are honoring, that are life-giving, um, but that come out of humility and surrender. Please help us because we need your strength to be able to do this and we can't do it in our own strength. We need you to keep transforming us, to keep redeeming us, um, 
to keep healing us. And Lord, for those that are um, hoping and desiring um, to be married someday, I just want to pray over them. Maybe they don't feel, maybe they feel inadequate on their own. And I really want to want you to minister to them that they are enough, that they are enough, that they are adequate, that they are loved, that they are respected as they are. And I pray that you would help them in the process of preparing themselves to one day be partners and husbands and wives, people who have the strength and the character and the integrity and the humility to be able to surrender their lives to another person. And I pray that you would bring about godly partners um, to those that are searching and looking, um, that you would be our matchmaker in heaven um, here on earth. We trust you, Jesus, and we lay down our lives for you, just like you laid down your lives for us. And um, we just want to say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.